homage to the Blessed One, the Noble One, the perfectly self-awakened One. Greetings to all of the laity here at Wat Mapjan, and also all of those listening to the Dhamma through the online retreat, listening together along with the group of people from Singapore, Malaysia, and those from Thailand here at the monastery. So today it's the fifth day that we've been practicing the Dhamma together. And this period, it's a period for us to study the Dhamma. So when we listen to the Dhamma, in order to get good results from that, what we need is a heart that is at peace. And this is something that's very important. So to have a peaceful mind that is intent on listening and that contemplates in line with the teachings of the Buddha. And this is a period then, a time for us to develop our minds and this can happen more quickly while we're listening to the Dhamma. For myself, each time I listened to the Dhamma of Venerable Ajahn Chah, then I'd feel a great joy in my heart. And there'd be this inner contentment. And occasionally he would come and ask me, did I give a good talk today? And I would say it was very good, it was very profound. And when listening to it, my heart filled up with joy. Because he taught us about emptiness. And those of us who were still stuck in this realm of convention, but he taught us to get to understand conventions and to know liberation. So the Buddhasasana, this Buddhist religion, um, it's the religion of awakening, of the one who knows, uh, the awakened one, the joyful one. And sometimes people from other religions would come and listen to Lumpur Cha's teachings. And it's when giving a Dharma talk, it's uh, polite for the people listening to remove their hats. So they would even remove their hat. And on the first day, they came to listen to his teachings. Uh, they put their hands up in Anjali. On the second day, they bowed to him. And on the third day, uh, tears started flowing because they were so kind of deeply moved by his Dhamma. These teachings to get us to see uh, things aren't me, they're not mine. They're not a being, an individual, a me or a you. Because religions really are things for us that support us, things for us to rely upon in order for us to build up goodness. And that's it. And whoever it is that practices following sila, samadhi and panya as virtue, collectedness and wisdom, then whoever they are, they will gain peace and happiness of heart. And this will develop until they gain knowledge. And seeing um, the emptiness of things, these things that initially we took to be self, seeing the body as just a body. Because normally we see these bodies as being me or being you. 
But when we practice to the point of gaining wisdom, we contemplate and we see clearly that it's just a body. We just use the name body, we call it that. In English we use that word, in Chinese there's another word. But all of these are just conventions. The body and the mind, physicality, mentality. But it's only the delusion in the heart that causes us to attach to these things as being me, being mine. When wisdom arises, however, we see that's not the case. Hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin, none of these have ever claimed to be me. They've never claimed to be anyone or anything. They're just elements that follow the course of nature. If we put our teeth into a pile, our skin into another pile, our hair into another pile, we'll see they're just elements that follow the course of nature. We put all the 32 parts into different heaps. We find that there's no self there. It's just earth, water, fire and air. So when the mind is at peace through the practice of reciting Buddha, this recollection of the Buddha, of being aware of the breath, of cultivating metta, this loving-kindness, that all of these are means for bringing our minds to peace. And when the mind is calm already, then the means to bring about wisdom are anicca, dukkha, anatta, this change and suffering and not self. So may you all practice using these methods, and if you do so, then you will be able to see clearly. You contemplate more and more, and this becomes more and more effective, until a knowledge arises. This knowledge that comes from mental cultivation, from bhavana. Because initially, the wisdom that we gain is that from listening, and that's also a kind of wisdom as well. And then we think about the Dhamma of the perfectly self-awakened Buddha, how he taught that this body, it's not me, it's not mine, it's just a temporary residence for us. It's like our houses. And if we rent a house, then maybe we know that that's just a temporary house for us. It's just conventionally ours. But we know that really it's not actually mine. It's just temporary. And if we're not able to pay the rent, then we won't be able to stay there anymore because it doesn't belong to us. But some people even attach to these houses even though we rent them, they attach to them as being mine. However, one day we do have to be separated from them. So if we look into this kind of analogy on a deeper level, you can see that this is true for our bodies as well, that these bodies are the homes of our minds. And one day they need to be separated from each other, following time, following causes and conditions that it's natural for these elements to break apart. So how many people who were born a hundred years ago are still here in the world? They're very hard to find, there's only a few. So for the people who are born uh, that long ago, most have passed away already. And in a hundred years time, 
none of us sitting here will be here anymore. And all of our bodies will have broken apart. All of us will have died, both the laity and the monks. We'll all have passed away. And a new generation will come and replace us. Their cells, these elements come together. The cells develop uh, through the nourishment they receive from food. And then their minds will attach to, their four, to these four elements as well. A physicality, mentality appear. And there's feelings that arise, able to see things, able to hear things and taste things. But all of those experiences depend upon this form. And so the mental factors depend on form. And the form also depends upon the mind as well. That if there's no form, then there'll be none of these mental factors. If the mental factors are absent, then there won't be this form either. So they rely upon one another. But the mind clings to these as being mine. This delusion comes up, which is the cause for suffering to arise. Greed, hatred and delusion appear. And so we need to practice. We need to scrub our hearts and polish our hearts to train and practice. Initially with generosity, and we feel the happiness that comes from giving. And then we keep the five precepts as just a standard for our lives. We do that every day. And some days we may keep the eight precepts, just like all of you who are taking the eight precepts for these nine days. And really intent on doing this. And so you have this time to practice now. You not have a lot of uh, duties that you need to do here. And so you should set your hearts on this practice, on bringing your minds to peace. But that involves effort as well, it requires effort need to endure, because sometimes there'll be peace and sometimes there won't. And why is that? It's because in lay life you have a lot of work that you need to do, um, need to think about different things, you need to take care of your family and use your time for this as well. It's something that we shouldn't neglect, something that's very important, has been sincere in this practice, of having faith in the practice like everyone here does. And sometimes perhaps we'll be given an increase in status or a higher position in our work, and we may gain many things due to that, but something that we lose is our time. We may get a lot of wealth but we're wasting something which is very valuable. And then it may just be at the age of 50 or 60 um, that we're aware of what's gone on and we regain our mindfulness and we're able to put down these positions and status and our duties in order to find the time to train our minds or to find the time to practice the Dhamma Because we've all had to study a lot, right, from the time that we were little children, 
to study in order to get a good job. But then when we work, we need to study further to increase our knowledge of the occupation that we're engaged in. So we do that in order to gain this wisdom and good mindfulness as well in our work so that we can find wealth or perhaps so that we can help out society. But the wisdom that we gain through the Dhamma, this is the wisdom that's able to solve the suffering in our hearts. Because the knowledge we gain from the world that's not able to fix our suffering. In order to solve this suffering, we need the Dhamma of the perfectly self-awakened Buddha. We need this path of sila, samadhi and panya, this noble eightfold path. And whoever practices this path of whatever religion they're a part of, whoever that is, if they practice following sila, samadhi and panya, then they can know the Dhamma, they can see the Dhamma. Because religion is just that which we rely upon, that we depend upon in order to see anicca, dukkha, anatta, it's in constancy, stress and not self, in order to empty and enter into emptiness. And so what is this emptiness? Well, emptiness is Buddha, it's this nature of awakening. And Buddha is there within everything. So we can look at the things outside, the houses and all the buildings, the cars, the trees, and try to see how they are empty. Like how we all have respect for the Buddha, so we come and bow to a Buddha image, and it may be made out of bronze and very beautiful, and we use that to recollect the Buddha so that our samadhi grows. But when we gain a deeper knowledge of that, we see that that's not really the Buddha. And sometimes these Buddha images, they can obscure our vision of the true Buddha. These are things that we use as a means to recollect the Buddha, recollect his kindness and compassion, his purity, his wisdom, and just that. And when we've recollected that already, and then we kind of reach that, then we see the true Buddha, this nature of awakening. So we study the Dhamma to see how all things are empty, all things are changing. And even the Buddha Rupas are like this as well, even they change. They're still made out of these physical elements. They still need to deteriorate, made out of, say, bricks or metal or sand. But these too need to decay following time and causes and conditions. And if we know that, if we see that, then we see the true Buddha. And we understand the teachings, because the true Dhamma, it's not there within the scriptures. Uh, but the true Dhamma is seeing this nature of arising, persisting, and ceasing. And the Savakas, these awakened beings, they're the people who know this in line or after the fully self-awakened Buddha. And this happens within the mind. 
that they understand this and they're able to know the Dhamma, see the Dhamma. So Sangha, Dhamma, Buddha, these all become, well, these all are one thing. As children we may separate out, the Buddha is one thing, the Dhamma one thing, the Sangha is one thing. But when we've practiced already, we see that incredibly we come closer to the Buddha and this becomes quite a profound knowledge in our hearts, the knowledge of the Dhamma and it gathers together as one thing. Seeing the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha as one and the same thing in the heart. And our minds become very bright. So therefore, for us, we're fortunate. We have this sincerity to practice the Dhamma, to study the Dhamma. And we've all been born already, but this is just a physical birth. But when we create merit and goodness, oh sorry, that um, physical birth to gain a human body that's complete, that has all the parts, um, it requires merit that we've made in the past. And because we have these complete bodies, we're able to study the Dhamma. In the beginning, maybe we didn't know about what things were good and what things were bad. We just followed our feelings and emotions. But that just leads us to chaos. If we're feeling greedy, then we just act out of that. If we're feeling angry, we display that. If we're feeling deluded, then we follow that. If we have attached to things, then we just display that. But this becomes a fire which burns our minds. And eventually we see the drawbacks and the danger of this, of all of this chaos that we're producing. So we come to practice the Dhamma. We come to have sila Dhamma, this virtue. For those who were not yet generous, then they make offerings. For those people who weren't yet interested in going to the monastery, then they come to the monastery and uh, study the Dhamma. And just like everyone here, most people are middle-aged, and some are kind of into old age. But all of you have set your hearts sincerely on this Dharma practice, on developing your minds so that they grow higher, so that they turn from being a Pratujana, one with thick defilements, to a Kalyana Chana, one with a beautiful heart. So we do that through walking this path of uh, dana, sila, bhavana, and the mind becomes brighter, it fills up with joy. And this arises from the faith that we have in the teachings of the Buddha. And then as we practice them, and we start seeing the results, then our faith increases. Because we've seen already how walking this path is the right way. This is correct for sure. Initially we may have doubts sometimes, but as we carry on practicing, then we enter into this path. And so we do that relying on the teachings of the Buddha and also the teachings of the awakened beings that have, have come down uh, from him to this present generation. And they tell us, turn left, go left, here, go right. They're trying to keep us in the middle of the path. 
trying to stop us from clinging to happiness or suffering so the mind doesn't get involved in liking or disliking. And then our minds become very spacious and at ease. We develop this faith in the practice. Initially our faith comes from listening, but we don't yet see the truth of that. So what we need to do is practice following those teachings until we gain knowledge, until we see for ourselves. So we carry on practicing like this until our samadhi grows deeper and deeper and we have energy to contemplate. And the mind is then able to separate out from the, bo- from the body. The mind is one thing, its objects are something else. Thoughts come up, but we see how they aren't the mind, so our minds don't go and attach to those thoughts. It's just like oil and water, they separate out. So we see that it's just this way. But initially we attach to all of these sense impressions as being me. All of the thoughts, all of the proliferation, those are me, those are mine. But that's not true, and we see how that's not true. This body which previously we took to be me, we see that that's not the case. You see how they separate out, how the mind is different from the five khandhas. It's not a being, it's not me, it's not you. Separates out from all of these things, seeing them as anicca, dukkha, anatta. So if we feel liking towards something, we tell ourselves that's not sure. If we feel averse towards something, then we tell ourselves that's also not sure. And we carry on teaching our minds in this way until wisdom arises. And then what results from that? Well, the mind lets go. We experience neuroda, the cessation from suffering. And because we've let go of all our attachments, all our cravings and clingings. So having been born, then we carry on developing. And this development, it's the birth of the mind, making the mind bright, bring it into samadhi, so that it gains a knowledge, a deep knowledge, into the Dhamma. Until we can become Aryapogalas, noble beings, ones with pure minds. And this is something that all of us are able to develop our minds to reach, to reach the state of Buddha, becoming Savaka Buddhas. But when we kind of enter into that, we see that it's just one thing. It's all one thing. So Ajahn Chah once asked, well, can't the Buddha be born in Thailand? And when I listened to that, I felt very kind of averse or aggravated to that teaching. Because I thought that, well, there's just one Buddha, and he was awakened in India. He was born in India at that time. And so he asked, well, can't he be born in Thailand? So what he was pointing to is this, kind of the Dhamma and the Sangha, that those beings who practice and see the Dhamma, then they become Savaka, Buddhas. They gain a deep understanding that it's all just one thing. 
the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha are one thing. That they gain this knowledge following the Buddha and following the Sangha that has come down and taught. And so they turn into Savaka Buddhas. But really it's just Buddha. That the Samma Sambuddha was the one who awakened through his own means. And so they are kind of different in that regard. But they were all able to abandon all the defilements just the same. So the teachings, oh, sorry, it's, um, it's similar to like how there are doctors and they can teach others to reach um, that state of being a doctor as well. And then they in turn are able to care for others, try to solve their sicknesses. So may you set your hearts on this, on meditating to see the Dhamma. And just like how the perfectly self-awakened Buddha, initially he was born as a prince, but he received a second birth, this birth under the Bodhi tree. So for us, we've been born into our bodies um, on our birthday. And we have this opportunity to have a human body. But may we all receive another birth, a birth in our minds, becoming Kalyanachanas, people with beautiful minds. And just like everyone here, you all have beautiful hearts. You come together, and even though there are many people here, if there was a heap of money, a pile of money that was a million baht or even a billion baht, or a huge pile of gold that's um, a thousand kilograms of weight. No one would be interested in taking it, no one would want it. Why is that? Because we see how sila, dhamma, our virtue, is of such immense value. And it has more value than any other wealth in this world. And that if we kind of bring our hearts to that level, and then if people wish to kill us, then they can kill us. It's just like there was once a, a thief, and a criminal who had killed other people, but then later on he came to take the five precepts. And then others came to take revenge on him and killed him, but when he died, he became a deva. And that was because of the power of sila. So the sila has a lot of value. It's more valuable than anything in the world. It's a noble wealth. It stops us from falling into the lower realms, into the realms of woe. And when we develop in the Dhamma um, as humans, we can develop to the point where there's no eighth life. So we should all be proud that we have the sincerity in the practice. It's the fifth day of this retreat. And if we include the rest of this day, there are five days left. So may you all set your hearts on bringing about this inner peace, on contemplating this body and seeing how it's not self. <laughs>